Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Thursday, May 12th. We are here live. It is a free-for-all today. I don't think we've had one in a while. If you've got a question, a comment, a topic, anything goes, pick up the phone and join us. Those lines are open right now, 855-950-3835. We'll get to those calls here in just a little bit. The big topic everywhere, inflation. Uh, I had uh, kind of an interesting example of inflation yesterday. So being gone, being out on the road, you know, we used up a lot of the food supplies we had both at, at home and I took a bunch with me on the road. We used a lot of canned meat and other things that we had made. So it was time to restock and my plan is cook everything I have still in freezers, restock the freezers. Um, we canned a bunch of ground meat the other day, uh, quite a bit, 20-some pints, I think. I went yesterday. One of the things I really like to can is turkey. It's one of my favorite things. When you get done canning it, the recipe I've got, it tastes like turkey times three. It gets this really intense turkey flavor and texture's excellent so normally what I'll do is I'll get two big turkeys roast them can them um, I like to get when I'm doing turkeys it's just as easy to roast two as it is one so I like to do two full canner loads so I enough turkey to do 34 pints so it roughly takes somewhere between about 35 and 40 pounds of whole turkey so I usually try to get two 20-pounders or something in that range. So yesterday, here's something else. I have to admit this. Um, I hate to. I've said that, you know, 90-plus percent of my meat is all regenerative, raised properly. The one area that I still hold out is turkey. And I just can't get over the price differential on turkey. I don't understand it. And I honestly, here's something else. On I, I've bought really expensive heritage breed turkeys raised properly, and I can't tell much difference in taste either. In all the other meats, chicken especially, I love the taste of chicken that's raised properly. It tastes like chicken. Chicken you buy in the store today tastes like nothing. Beef and pork, I like the taste better. And honestly, today in beef prices... I can buy grass-fed, grass-finished, high-quality beef for almost what you're paying for in the grocery stores. There's not much of a price differential. Same with pork. A little bit more. Chicken is pretty darn close these days. You're certainly paying a premium for the well-raised animals, but it's not that big. A couple of dollars a pound in most cases, and sometimes not even that much, especially if you shop local and you buy in bulk, you can get beef prices way down. If you shop local, buy a half cow, something like that, go in with some people, you can get the price down cheaper than what you're paying for beef in the grocery store right now for full grass-fed, grass-finished, organic everything. You can actually get a better price just by shopping around a little bit and buying in bulk. Same can be said for pork. A little harder to find, but 
If you find it, you can buy well-raised pork less expensively if you buy it locally and you buy in bulk. Uh, Chicken, not that difficult to find. Um, You can get some locally, even if I have to mail order it, get it shipped in. Um, I just said mail order. And I realize that word doesn't even make sense anymore. I I bought it online. Um, And get it shipped in, it's not that expensive. Couple bucks more, maybe. Turkey, for some reason, is there's an outrageous price difference. And what I mean by outrageous is last Thanksgiving, even with some inflation happening, you could buy turkey for less than $2 a pound. I, I think I remember seeing, I, I saw some specials, people were getting it at less than a dollar a pound. You could buy uh, organic. It's not necessarily, you know, pasture raised or, but it's at least organic. Uh, they That organic was under $2 a pound in some cases around Thanksgiving last year. So I go to buy, oh, and to compare that, to compare that, heritage breed well-raised turkeys, 9 and $10 a pound, four and five times more. It's just insane. So you start talking about, you know, like I said, it takes about 35, let's say 35 pounds, closer to 40 pounds of turkey to do 34 full pints. That's pretty close. So we'd be talking about $400 worth of turkey. And if you buy a more traditional turkey stuff I can just find in the grocery store, it's $100 for those two turkeys. I just can't get over that price differential on turkey. As much as I want to, I just can't seem to... uh, to cross that line yet. Like I said, I really can't notice much difference in taste even or texture or anything. So I was looking for, you know, kind of a well-raised premium organic, not the absolute cheapest I could find at the grocery store. And I was pretty shocked. Prices have gone up quite a bit. So um, $3.99 a pound was the best I was finding. That same um label in organic was six dollars a pound yesterday maybe i will start looking at the heritage breeds here soon if those prices keep happening so i decided all right and the other thing was in the organic i I couldn't find big enough birds they were all like 10 pounds so i was gonna have to buy three or four of those and then you do get less total yield so I'm digging around in the freezers and I finally find in the $3.99 a pound, I find one 18 pound and one 15 pound. Not quite enough, but I'm going to go with it and I'm not going to mess with three. So I'm wandering around the grocery store and they have this other freezer case that they always, there's just weird stuff in there. So I always kind of walk by it and see if there's anything interesting in it. And at the bottom, I see a big turkey, the same label as what I've got in my cart. So I, I, and all I'm thinking about, oh, it's bigger. I want a bigger turkey. So I pull it out. It's a 26-pounder. And I'm like, well, that's perfect. I'll take the 26 and the 18. Um, I'll have plenty to do my 34 pints. So I pull it out. And as I'm putting it in the cart, 
I looked at the total price and I thought, well, that doesn't make sense. It should be a lot more expensive than that. It's $3.99 a pound, except this one, same label, same everything, except it's over in a different case. It's $1.99 a pound. Now, I thought, all right, I'm just taking it to check out. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to ask. So, and you, you always run the risk of them saying, oh, we mislabeled it. Let me fix that. So I ask, and the or the uh, meat manager comes out, and he says, yeah, he says, that was from the last shipment we ordered, and that one probably didn't sell because it was just so big. So we just stuck it over there and figured we'd sell it at $1.99 a pound. And I said, great, I'll take it. Do you have any more? He's like, no, that was the only one. But just in that short period of time from the last time they ordered turkey, they were selling it at $1.99 a pound. Now it's $3.99 a pound. That doubled. The 8% inflation is bad, really bad. But we are seeing lots of things. Gas and diesel is up. 40 some percent. I'm not even sure how we get to this 8% inflation number when most of the things we have to buy every day have gone up way more than 8%. Now, they, they calculate these numbers so many different ways, the producer price index, the consumer price index. They have one sign of inflation that takes out energy, and it really starts to get confusing, like everything the government does. But inflation is a huge problem right now. Diesel setting records. $5.62 a gallon is the price we ended last week at. $5.62 a gallon. I also read that several places around the country, the crude inventories are down. When inventories go down, prices go up. That's supply and demand. So what do we do? Um, You know, the Biden administration has a whole bunch of word salad to explain inflation, but for the most part, they've just blamed everybody else. I actually saw on The View yesterday Well, I didn't see it because I don't watch The View. I heard it on a news report later, what they had said, and I thought it was going to make my head explode. Talk about having no clue how the economy works. You know, I I thought several of those women were supposed to be really intelligent and they have Ivy League educations, and you would think at some point you might learn how the economy works if you're that smart. Obviously not, though. They, they, their claim yesterday was the reason our economy was so good in 2018, 2019, and 2020 until the pandemic hit. Um, the reason that was so good, according to them, was because of Barack Obama. I, okay. He led us out of the slowest recovery from a recession ever. There were no spectacular numbers while he was in office. Their claim is, though, he laid all the groundwork. And now, now the reason the economy is so bad and we have such high inflation is because of Donald Trump. It's funny how it's never the person in office for them. Because 
you look at the records when the Democrats are in office, the economy tends to do worse. When the Republicans were in office, the economy did better, but they'll turn that around because that's not how the economy works, according to them. I do realize when the government does something, it takes a while for it to have an impact, but not 10 years. The stuff Barack Obama was doing when he was in office did not give us a good economy in 2018, 2019, in the beginning of 2020. What did, is very, very clear, was the tax law changes as soon as Trump went in office and the rollback of many regulations. Lower taxes, get the government out of the way, make it easy to do business, and businesses flourish and the economy does better. It really is Economics 101. We should be putting in massive tax cuts right now. And I know it's not the best thing because the government is so far in debt, but you got to give the people a break. You can't have high taxes and high inflation. You got to cut something somewhere. Now, that can actually backfire as well. Part of the problem with this inflation is we've let it get so bad and and done nothing that most of the answers now are really a double-edged sword. They can cut both ways. So we need to give people a break because they're hurting. But if you do cut taxes and they take the money and they go spend And I don't mean spend just to live. If they go spend like Americans have been spending for the last couple of years, inflation will get worse. If the Fed keeps raising the interest rate, which is about the only thing they can do right now, then we could turn inflation into a recession or stagflation like we had in the early 80s, which is kind of what I'm expecting. I think that that's probably what we're going to see at some point. Although there are still some economists that say we're not even going to see a recession out of this. I'm not sure how that's possible. It's never really happened in the history when we've had all these indicators. We're just about guaranteed a recession, but who knows? Um, Here's the thing, though. My advice, act like we're going to have a recession. Treat your money like we're going to have a recession, a deep recession, and maybe a long recession. So start doing things that would make sense when we have inflation and when a recession is a strong possibility. And here's why you should do that. If I'm wrong, you don't get hurt at all. None of the things I've been asking you to do or recommending that you do financially would hurt you if there is no recession. You don't lose anything if you do these things. Maybe you could say, well, I I could have had a new boat all that time. Okay, maybe if that's what you consider um, a downside, well, then go get the boat when we know there's no recession. But if you do the right things with your money all the time, then you don't have to worry about how bad this might get. So what kinds of things should you be doing right now? Well, first off, the Fed is going to raise interest rates. There's no doubt about it. 
They've already told us they're going to. They might go up significantly. Mortgage has already doubled in just months. So if you have an adjustable rate mortgage, you should stop listening to me right now and go work on getting it refinanced before it's too late. Because what can happen is as interest rates go up, you won't qualify for a refinance because your payment will be too high. The mortgage companies base just about everything on how much they think you can afford to pay back each month. So it's not a set number because if interest rates go up, your payment would go up and then you get locked out of that mortgage and you can't refinance and then there may be no end in sight to your adjustable rate mortgage. So you better get out your loan documents and find out what your mortgage really says and, and what it is. If you need some help with that, uh, I'd be glad to help you on the air. If you want to send me private messages on Healthy Tribe or Trucking Tribe, don't do it on Facebook. Tons of people send me messages on Facebook. I don't go on Facebook very often. I don't respond to many messages on there at all. Uh, Healthy Tribe and TruckingTribe.com. Uh, if you want me to help you read your mortgage and figure out, you know, what your risk is, um, I'll be happy to do that. If you have credit card uh, balances, better get your documents out and read those and figure out what they can do with your interest rate on your credit cards and get those paid off. Now, I've been saying for several years now you should have been paying down debt. If you've still got debt, you're going to be in a bad place. If you've got cash, you're going to be in a good place. We could be talking about, if we go back to 19, early 1980s, we were talking about 10% rates of return on CDs, bank certificates, no risk whatsoever, none, and a 10% return. Cash is king during inflations, but there's something that's even better than cash. And it's exactly what I was talking about at the beginning. Why do you think I'm out buying a bunch of meat right now and canning it? And when I'm done canning, I'll refill the freezers again because we're seeing inflation running at 8%. Food many times is higher than 8%. Meat seems to be significantly higher. Well, that doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon. So every time you buy a consumable ahead of time, if you can, it'd be nice if we, although gas and diesel prices are so volatile, sometimes they shoot up and down so fast that you have to be a little careful with uh, energy prices. Food prices, though, once they climb, they're not going to drop overnight like fuel and, and um, diesel and gas can. They'll take a lot longer to come down. So you don't have a lot of risk pre-buying food in bulk. One, if you buy in bulk, you can usually get a better price. But two, buying ahead of time. If prices are going up 8% or more, Everything you buy ahead of time is like getting an 8% return on your money with very little risk. So both in your business and your personal life, you should be making sure 
you've taken care of your risk on credit and you understand what your risk is and pre-buy just about everything you can. If you can afford it and you can store it somewhere, I would be pre-buying things. Pre-buying and preserving, learning how to can and, and you know make yogurt and all those things we talk about, we talk about it for health. It's really, really good thing to be doing right now for your money and for the fact that I, I know people have a hard time believing you might go to the grocery store and they're going to be out of meat or out of chicken, but we also had a hard time believing you could go to the grocery store in the United States and they'd be out of baby formula, but they are, and the numbers are getting worse. There's some disturbing reports I've seen. I have not been able to verify them yet. I just saw them a couple minutes before I came on the air. I didn't even think about this. Uh, it doesn't shock me, and I, I will verify it. I only read it from one source right now, at two, actually. Um, but both articles sounded so similar, I think one person copied the other. So I'm going to go look to see if I can verify this somehow. But because it's a government agency, it might be hard to do. We'll see. There are reports that the migrant detention centers all along the southern border are fully stocked with baby formula and that the Biden administration is shipping in pallets. Again, I don't know if it's true. I only read it from one source, one reporter, but I wouldn't be surprised um, we, if we house infants down there, and we do, they have to have formula, but boy, oh boy, um, we better get our priorities straight. When our, our new press secretary, uh, what's her first name? Corrine? Corrine Jean-Pierre? I don't know. I'll have to go double check. Um, she was asked about um, the baby formula issue yesterday, and her answer was, the administration is on top of this. We're working on it 24-7. There's never any answers what they're doing. They're always working on it. Nothing ever seems to work because every problem we're talking about continues to get worse. But they're working on it 24-7. I love the reporter's follow-up question. Can you tell me who's in charge of that? And she laughed and said, I'll get that info for you. I'll check on that. Come on, you're the press secretary. This is a huge issue. You just said the government is working on it. This administration is working on it 24-7. But you don't know who is in charge of it? Give me a break. That's either total incompetence or they're lying. And from what I understand, she's really intelligent. I don't think it's incompetence. How could you not know that? If this is such a high priority, it's being worked on 24-7. Well, who's working on it? They, she laughed. Ha, I'll have to check on that. And if it turns out the migrant centers are fully stocked and U.S. taxpayers and parents can't find formula, and then the FDA, I talked about this yesterday, says... No, you can't make your formula at home. 
you might not put all the right nutrients in it. The FDA hasn't approved those recipes. Oh, but the recipe you did improve, it killed babies. That's why we have a shortage because you had to recall so much of it. Is that absurd or what? And what about this? How about instead of excuses and blaming, the FDA actually helps with the problem. How you ask? Well, this is really simple. I think a fifth grader could probably come up with this answer if they just thought about it for a couple minutes. The FDA says, well, you can't make this at home. We haven't approved those recipes to make sure they have all the right nutrients in it. Well, tell us your recipe then. You're the FDA. You're supposed to be the expert on what we should feed babies and what we shouldn't feed them. So instead of telling us all those recipes you're sharing on the internet, we haven't approved them, well, share yours then. It should take you all of about five minutes to come up with a recipe for baby formula, things you could buy at the grocery store every day. That should take all of about five minutes. And then because you're the FDA and you have so much money and so much reach, you should blast that recipe all over social media, all over public television and radio and say, look, we understand there's a problem. We actually caused part of the problem, but we're going to fix it right now. Not a week from now, not we'll get back to you later, not we'll circle back Jen Psaki. Now, just put out a recipe that's safe. How hard would that be? But not a peep out of them about how to fix these problems. All right, I'm getting wound up and uh, getting a little political, so we're going to get to the phones instead. Let's get started in Calgary today. Dale, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, thank you so much for taking my call. What's on your mind today? Well, it's that time of year. Uh, road check is happening next week. So rather than park and hide under the couch, like some association is uh, suggesting you should do, how about oh, hey, we come out hey, and take hey, advantage hey, of the high rates? Hey, wait a minute. I just heard something. I want to make sure I heard it right. We've been doing this whole road check thing for years and years. You do an excellent job of making sure we don't forget about it. We've done shows where we give people tips on how to get prepared for it. At the CMC, one of our most popular things that we did, and you were you led this for years, um, you would do full-blown roadside inspections on every truck that wanted it as they came through the CMC People learn so much. There was no pressure. We weren't there to try to embarrass anybody because you have all these faults. You took the time to point it out to people. Here's what they look for. Here's what you should look for. Here's how to fix it. It was an awesome segment. We've also talked about when road check comes around, there is this big talk all over the industry. I'm just going to take the week off. I'm not dealing, which is fine. I mean, if that's what you want to do, you should take the week off. There's actually an association that's recommending it. You know, there's a, yeah, there is a group that suggests maybe, maybe next week is a good time for a holiday. And by all means, you know what, if rates have been phenomenal and you're, you know, you're getting a little burnt out and you need a week's vacation, take a week's vacation for the right reasons. Exactly. But to take a week's vacation and miss out on even better rates, 
just because the big bad boogeyman might find something wrong with your truck, you know, if that's your business model, you probably have bigger problems than burnout. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm glad you brought up rates. It was part of my notes, but I got off on a tangent there and um, started ranting. Actually, the rates on or the news on rates right now for a little while are better than what we've been talking about. They were heading down. We're actually starting back up a little bit. Now, we expect this. It's seasonal. It will probably peak within, you know, end of June, beginning of July, if we have a typical season. So for a little while now, we're, we're going to see some increase in rates. So I'm with you. If you have a good legitimate reason and you wanted to take a week off and it just happened to coincide with safety week, yeah, who cares? No big deal. But if, if you have to take that week off because you're afraid of something wrong with your truck, then yeah, you've probably got some rough times coming. Well, and you know, I can honestly say when I was on the job, um, you know, we felt for these guys that felt the, the need to take next week off. So we actually went out a couple of weeks before road check and did some major blitzes just to make sure that they weren't <laughs> left out. And we also did some a couple of weeks after. So, you know, wouldn't it be easier if we actually did a pre-trip inspection? It's three days. Can we just not get it together for three days? And, and I know you're asking yourself, well, this pre-trip inspection you speak of, <laughs> it's three days. Let's, let's do that. And yeah, I really miss that at the CMC because I just love doing it. And uh, gosh, even that year we were in Kansas City, I think, and the parking lot was about the temperature of the surface of the sun. It was still a great time because you're right. It was education. Next week, wash your truck. Treat yourself. Hit the blue beacon. Clean off your dash. Don't drive down the road looking like a wounded gazelle. Look at your fuel card and you've got some shower credits. <laughs> Next week is a good day to use those. And the inspector will give you at least two opportunities to set your brakes up. So first thing in the morning, when everything is ice cold and you're ready, you've got your 72-ounce Mountain Dew Go Cup and you're ready to go trucking, release your brakes, make a full brake application, hold it to the floor, and then release. And keep doing that. Repeat that process until a low-air warning buzzer comes on. And then hold your foot firmly on the floor and watch your two needles. And as long as they're climbing, we've just accomplished three things without you leaving the comfort of your cab. We've checked the low air warning device. Assuming our automatic slack adjusters are functioning correctly, we've now just adjusted our brakes. And we've checked for any major air leaks. If you get selected for one of these random inspections and count yourself very lucky if you do, because realistically we inspect less than 10% of the trucks on the road. So again, for these people that cower at home in fear, you're really missing out on opportunities because statistically you're probably not going to get checked anyway. But if you do, the inspector is going to bring you in for an inspection. When he works his way to the back of the tractor, he's going to ask you, 
to step on the brakes to see the brake lights. Most drivers just touch the brake pedal and let it go. When he wants to see the brake lights, pedal goes right to the floor and release. When he gets to the back end of the trailer, same thing. Pedal goes right to the floor and released. There really is no excuse for having brakes out of adjustment. And it's the number one violation. Because we just gave you two opportunities to set your brakes out. What a what a great piece of advice. Something we should just do on a pretty regular basis anyway. And, you know, I, I want to go back to what you used to do at the CMC. And there were so many reasons I loved it. I just used to love hanging out there and watching you do it and watching the people go through it. You know, at first they're a little nervous. Oh, I don't really want everybody looking at my truck. But once they got over that and they did it, you, you could see the look on their face like, really? It's that simple? It, 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 none of this stuff is really complicated. Not at all. It, it's, it's almost all visual. No. It's, it, and once you understand what to look at, what they're looking for, you, you would see that look of relief come over the driver's face. Like, oh, oh, I could do this. Why have I been avoiding this stuff all these years and worried every time I go over a scale? And it, when this is really simple to do, and then you know this, and when you were doing these inspections, how long did it take you to know whether the driver probably had a lot of issues or, or he didn't know, or you knew the driver was very confident that his equipment was, was right? How long did it take you to determine that when you made contact with that driver? Less than five minutes. Because after I gathered up, he's all really the nervous, right? From the driver. Well, and, and after I've gathered up all my documentation that I needed, uh, the next question I asked is, what did you do for a pre-trip? And if the driver got the deer in the headlight look <laughs> and was searching for, oh, my God, the truck started, uh, the radio's working, <laughs> shit, what else do I need? <laughs> or the driver rattled off what he did for a pre-trip, I knew there was going to be an easy inspection. So when you learn this stuff and you realize how simple it is and how easy it is to know whether there's something wrong with your truck or not, now you are confident and not nervous when you do get pulled in. And that, that does not take long to pick up on, especially when people do this all day long. They know the nervous guy who, who doesn't know whether he has a problem or not. And if he doesn't know, there's probably a good chance he does have a problem. Or the guy who's really confident tells you exactly what he did on his pre-trip. Uh, which one are you going to spend more time on? Which one are you going to look deeper? Oh, absolutely. And nothing gave me greater joy than after the CMC to get those phone calls. God, you know, I left there and two days later I got a level one and look, then they'd send me a picture of Beckel in the window. And, you know, it was such a great experience. And I'll give up a, a shameless plug for the uh, Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance, they have an app that you can download in the uh, Google Play Store or Apple, and you can buy the out-of-service guide right on your phone. It's less than 40 bucks US, and everything is spelled out right in the handbook. That's pretty awesome. 
We, uh, I, may, know, I may uh, find those links and put them up on truckingtribe.com. If anybody on my team's listening. And, uh, so what are they looking for again? I should write it down. Uh, cbsa.org is the website, and it's the uh, North American Auto Service Criteria. All right. I'm going to go look for that. We can at least put the links up, um, help people go and find And, you know, those. if anybody, you know, and a shameless plug for Trucking Tribe, you know, if anybody's got any questions or concerns or you want some advice, Compliance Corner. Just shoot me a message, and I'm more than happy to reach out and uh, help you out. Hey, speaking of which, are we bringing back that show? We really should. It's up to you. I'd love to have it again. I think will. Uh, I will run that up the flagpole. Yeah, think, absolutely. Th- think about and, it. I, uh, I, I yeah, to, I enjoyed doing that. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was a great resource because it's it's another one of those things that help people just become more comfortable with that whole process. And that's our first goal. Help these guys become more comfortable. Don't get hit with a big fine or lose some work because you didn't take care of something simple and easy. And let's let's also not forget, because sometimes we do forget, the system isn't perfect. But the whole idea behind this is we really do want more safe vehicles on the road. Sometimes we forget about that. We think this is just a hassle. They're just... Um, you know, they're just after money or whatever. And, and like I said, the system isn't perfect, but I think we'd all really rather know that the vehicle driving next to us at 80 miles an hour today is safe or somewhat safe. Absolutely. And, and you know what? At the end of the day, every officer and every inspector wants everybody to go home. Ten fingers, ten toes, no holes. Yep. And it's, it's just not difficult. It's really not. So, um, Dale, thanks so much. You've been doing this for us for years. Um, you are our resident compliance expert. You answer all the questions for us. Uh, you develop these things, and I really appreciate it. So thanks again. Hey, my pleasure. And, uh, and again, anybody's got any questions, Compliance Corner on the Trucking Tribe, and I'm more than happy to help you out. Fantastic. Have an awesome day, and everybody stay safe out there. Thank you. Let's uh, let's go to North Carolina this time. Richard, welcome to the program. Yes, uh, good morning, Kevin. How are you? Doing good. What's on your mind today? Yeah, I've got a 2015 Cascadia with a DD15 uh, standard Eaton 10-speed with 331 rears. What would you think would be a sweet spot for this thing? I normally run around 65, and at 65 miles an hour, my RPM is exactly at 1,300 RPM. What tire size? Unfortunately, 11R225s. Okay. Uh, at some point, and, you know, getting the tire you want these days is getting far more difficult. Sometimes if it's round and black and looks like it may, it's made out of rubber, we should probably buy it. Um, but at some point, sure. you know, standard or low profile 22.5s and low rolling resistance would be an improvement. Um, so I'm going to answer this question a little differently than normal. We don't have a lot of room to play around or change anything here. Um, I don't, do you really have 331 gears? I've never even heard of those. 331 rears, that's what the, the paperwork reads on the, on the truck. 
Yeah, it, it could. They they you know keep making all kinds of new ratios and transmissions, and it's hard to keep up. But I have never heard of three thirty ones. Um, they're so similar to either three twenty fives, which we've had for a long time, or three thirty six. So it's it's not a big stretch. I don't have my calculator up, but um, so rather than try to figure out the perfect RPM to run this engine in. What's more important today than finding the perfect RPM? Because for one, the only way you can alter what RPM you run at in this truck is by altering speed. Otherwise, you're looking at thousands of dollars to change out differentials or transmission, and transmission usually doesn't help much. So we don't really have any options other than change speed. So my answer to the sweet spot really is a speed answer, not an RPM answer. Now, the RPMs are going to end up about where we want them anyway, or pretty darn close. Uh, I would be running between 55 and 60 right now because of fuel price. Well, at 60 miles an hour, I'm running exactly at... Uh 1,200 RPMs. I would try that for a while and watch what it does for your fuel economy. I think you're going to see a pretty big bump. Gosh, okay, the night gear, for some reason, is good, believe it or not, to 65 miles an hour, and it's, uh, it goes up to about 1,600 RPMs. Yeah, uh, so... That's part of the problem with the 10 speed is the drop down to ninth is too big. Uh, even at 55, I doubt that ninth would be your best gear. Maybe, but I kind of doubt it. I think the RPMs are still going to be too high even at 55 and ninth. Um, ninth is your direct gear, so 331s and direct just don't work very well. Um, but 10th between 55 and 60 is probably going to be your best fuel economy. Okay, we'll give it a shot. All right. Thank you very much. I'd love to hear back. Let me know how that works out for you. We are going to head off to Pennsylvania this time. John, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I'll call that uh some questions about uh so when you were in business some of the things that you did wrong with the trucks and uh if you were going to do it again today what you would do differently and how you would start and the reason i'm asking is so i'm uh, i've been doing this 12 years and i feel i'm pretty successful at it and i'm at the point where i'm starting to get bored so i'm looking for the new thing here should i buy some trucks should i hire drivers i don't know what to do got it oh boy this guy i could Fill up a whole show with this one. There's I know. So many ways. Great question, by the way. Thank you. Um, so many ways I could yeah. go on this. So let's go back to when I started, because you're saying, what would you do differently if you started today? Um, the easy way to answer that yeah. question is almost everything. I made just about every mistake <laughs> you could make. Um, what saved me was that I was young and full of energy and I could work 20 hours a day if I had to, and I did. Uh, just to make up for all the mistakes I was making. And, and I was willing to go learn. I started listening to books on business. I started asking questions. I started learning how to do some accounting. Uh, every business needs to have some accounting and numbers. And so 
almost everything I did was wrong. How did I buy trucks the way most people buy trucks? I'd go down to, a, and I actually had a relationship with the sales guy in a little uh, used truck lot that was uh, part of International's network. Um, so I, I, I at least had that, but really all I would do is, is you know, walk down on the lot when we needed another truck. And in those first couple of years, I was buying trucks all the time. I mean, I got up to 11 trucks pretty quickly uh, and they were all Just whatever you, you could find or were you actually specking them? No, I had, that, that was kind of my point. It was just walk around the lot, look for a truck that I liked. And when I say liked it, the, was it the right color? Was it in good shape? Uh, it had nothing to do with specs because I didn't know anything about specs. I didn't understand fuel okay. mileage at the time. Um, most of what I learned came after I almost failed. So when I had the 11 trucks and we were brokering some freight, so, and we had a service truck running around and that's why I was working 20 hours a day. I might go fill in over and I had those 11 trucks scattered all over the place. So one day I'd be in the office trying to broker some freight that we had. The next day I'd be out running a, a, you know, a food load for Aldi. We had trucks at Aldi's for a while. Um, I might be running a line haul run for Spartan. Um, it was just a mess. And I was living on credit cards because there was, there was no profit coming out of the business to pay me. I, all we were doing was covering expenses and spending money to buy new stuff. It was almost a disaster. Um, I wasn't paying my taxes for a couple of years. So by the time the dust settled and I looked around, um, I was about $60,000 in debt, personal debt and living on credit cards. So it was getting worse. And I had to sell nine of the 11 trucks, close the brokerage operation, get rid of the service truck and go back to driving full time myself. Um, that was the only way out of it. So I made every mistake you could make. So what would I do different? Almost everything. Um, but we can cover them. It's all the same stuff I talk about all the time. Really, it's fairly basic right, stuff. Right. Spec trucks so that they get good fuel economy, the best fuel economy you can possibly get. Spec trucks so that their maintenance costs are lower with things like the OPS and the catalyst and um, you know, balancing and, and centering tires and all those things we talk about to lower maintenance cost. I would know my numbers from day one. I would know my numbers before I ever bought another truck. I would know that I could make that truck profitable by doing the numbers, which is, I never did that. All, all, my only criteria for buying another truck back then, is there a truck I want to buy? Not that I care much about it. Is, and there's always trucks around to buy. Is there freight to pull? There was. And are there drivers? Actually, back then, drivers weren't that hard to find. So if that's your only criteria, is there a truck, is there freight, and is there drivers? That's why I was buying trucks all the time. But I wasn't making okay. sure that I could make each truck profitable. So, and, you know, I would have worked harder to understand rates and the economic cycle. And, you know, I would have built better relationships. And, and all I was doing was buying trucks and trying to run the business every day. There was almost no thought put into anything. 
And that's just a recipe for disaster. I'm, I'm blessed that I made it through it and didn't have to file bankruptcy. And I look back on that now, as bad as that time was, um, I'm, I'm blessed that I went through it. It's how I learned all of this. I, I learned fast and I learned early um, how to, and it doesn't mean I don't make mistakes now, but I, I do. I'm just, you know, I have a much better position. I could have lost everything back then. I almost did. Uh, so, you know, the, the same kind of things I talk about today, the advice I give. If I were starting out today, I would not be buying a new truck. No way. No matter, it doesn't matter how much I like them. I just would not be buying a new truck if I were starting off. I, I'd be buying those late 90s, early 2000 pre-emission trucks, and I'd put money into it and I'm keep them running. They're, they're hard to argue against. When you look at what we can buy them for, we can rebuild them, we can keep them running. It's hard to make an argument against having trucks like that. Now, if, if you were saying to me right now, with the financial position I'm in and all the knowledge I have, what would I do differently today? I would, and again, it would come more out of looking for a challenge. The way I would get back into trucking today would not be necessarily the most profitable way. It would be a very challenging way. And here's what I'd probably be doing. I would probably be reaching out to Tesla right now to see when I might be able to get a couple of electric trucks because that would be a challenge for me. It would be something new. It would be an opportunity to learn. Can we run one of these trucks really profitable or not? Now, that's pretty risky. If I were just getting started, oh, hell no, I wouldn't even think about doing something like that. But for me, if I were looking for a challenge, I would be looking at the future, I would be looking at electric and some autonomous, maybe platooning. You know, where are the opportunities in autonomous vehicles going to be for owner-operators? That's the kind of stuff I would be out doing if I were to get back into trucking today with all of my resources and knowledge. Okay. Now, let me go back to your situation. You mentioned you're kind of bored. You've got your numbers down. You're profitable. Everything's running right. I, I was in that position. And for me, boredom will drive me to do crazy stuff sometimes. I don't like to be bored. You were in that position with one truck by yourself? Yes. And I even, honestly, and I've told this story before, it's why I ultimately decided to sell my trucks and my contract at FedEx because I was bored with it. I, there were, I had three trucks. Uh -huh. I had dedicated runs. I had the same drivers for years. It was very profitable. Um, but I wasn't even anywhere near those trucks. They were in Florida. I was traveling all over the country. I moved to Oregon. Um, it, it was almost like I didn't even own those trucks anymore. All I did was collect the check. And that's how smooth it ran. But I, I looked at that and I thought, I either need to jump back into this and grow my fleet. Why stop at three? Why don't I just start adding trucks? Or I need to just get rid of it and focus on what I'm doing now, which I love what I'm doing. And I own trucks for almost 30 years. So uh, I could have easily doubled or tripled my fleet over at FedEx. I could have just bought up a couple other contractors. Um, but I, I, I decided I, I did a lot of that. Um, there's not much more I'm going to learn doing that. Sure, I could make great money. I could grow the company. I wasn't going to learn much. 
I mean, I had that system down. There, there right. just wasn't much more to do. Um, the other thing I might do today that would be a challenge is if I'm going to go, you know, play around with some electric trucks, I would do it with my own authority. I, I wouldn't go back to any kind of a contract. I loved the deal I had at FedEx, but, you know, the challenge for me today would be um, building some good relationships with brokers, maybe even going out and finding some direct freight. Uh, those are the kind of things that would be challenging today if I decided to get back into that. So you may want to, are you running on your own authority now? Yes, I okay. did since I started. Okay, so really the only challenge for you at this point either would be if you decided you wanted to go out and find a bunch of your own freight uh, you know, that can be difficult sometimes. Um, the other way to challenge yourself would be to add trucks and drivers. And that's a big step. So would you just do one at a time or like oh, how yeah. many trucks do you need to have to make it more profitable? Well, here's the thing. And that's a good question, but let's think about that question. How many more trucks do you need to make it profitable? And I've heard these stupid numbers like, oh, you have to have five, you have to have 10. As soon as somebody says that, my mind thinks, wait a minute, if I put on one truck and it doesn't add profit to my bottom line, then how could five? Right. If one is losing well, the, money. The only, the only scenario it, I, like, I was looking at, like, if I ran the numbers on one truck and I figured I made like 2000 a week after I paid the driver my fuel and, that, oh, and hey, then at stop, the end of the month stop, I paid stop, my payment. Stop, stop. I, I know you might have just been throwing out numbers off the top of your head there, but we need to be a little more realistic. Think about what you just said. If you had a truck that was profiting $2,000 a week, that's 100000 a year. There's no way you're going to well, make that kind I'm of money. Saying, until, I take my, until I take my expenses off at the end of the month, it would be like 2000 a month profit. Okay, okay. Now that so makes that, more, In that and, case, you're only at twenty twenty four thousand a year, which I don't know if that's worth it, but if you have two or three trucks you know, that number goes up then. So, but, but again, it, it, I understand, but this, this is illogical. So if one truck adds $24,000 to your profit, which is a reasonable number that, that can be done. And, it, and yep. it's actually a pretty good number. What else happens though? Don't you have to work more? Uh, Yeah. You better say yes, because yeah. I promise you, when you have yeah. one more truck and one more driver, you're going to be working more. So, yes, five would give us more profit, but what else does it bring? More work, more headaches, yeah. more risk. Right. So when when somebody says one extra truck is not profitable, well, first off, they're not understanding profit. Maybe there isn't enough profit to make it worth doing right but if there's no profit then how could five be profitable if there's no profit what it means is there's a loss so if one truck generates a loss five trucks will generate a bigger loss so there's no magic number and no you don't go out and say well i have to buy five trucks all at once because that's what they say it takes to be profitable 
No, one extra truck better be profitable. And it adds a little bit of extra work. So you buy one, you figure out how to run it as profitably as you possibly can, because having drivers is very different. And then when that truck is profitable and you look at it and go, okay, um, you know, it added maybe two or three hours on average of extra work a week. I have to hire a driver every now and then. I might get a phone call at two o'clock in the morning that he's broke down and I got to get up and start making calls. Is that worth $24,000 extra for me? And if it is, then maybe it's time to put on another one. Get another twenty dollars to $25,000 in extra profit and add a couple more hours of work. And at some point, you may get to the point where you add so many trucks, you can't do all the work yourself. When I had 11 trucks, I was actually partnered with my brother. It, it took more than one person to handle that. So, but there, throw out that idea that's been around the industry forever. Oh, you have to have five trucks to make it worth it. That's illogical. If two trucks aren't more profitable than one, why would five trucks be more profitable than one? Right. I always just figured the big companies, like they don't make money on a truck, they make it on volume. Stop. I, I want you to rethink what you just said. They don't make money on a truck. If they didn't make money on a truck, how can they make money on volume? They have to make money, make money on... I, don't, I mean, much money. Well, that's what we have to start clarifying. You, you're right. They don't make much money on one truck. They make it on volume. That is correct. But they have to make money on yeah. one to be able to make it in. So the same thing here. You should be able to make more money on one truck than they can. Yep. And then you should be yep, able to make more that. money on your second truck than they can. At some point, you start to become so big as a company, that yes, your margins will go down. At some point, you need to start hiring more and more people. You need an HR person. You need a safety person. And at some point, as you grow a company, the margins go down, but the overall profit should go up because of volume. So one at a time, that's the answer. One at a time and learn how to make your second truck really profitable before you add your third. By the time you add your third or fourth, okay. it's almost a system. Now you know how to make each one profitable and then you add when the opportunity you know, presents itself and it makes sense to add to a certain point, I can tell you when I had 11 trucks, a brokerage, a service truck, and there was only two of us, I was working myself to death. Yeah, I believe that. Only because I didn't do it and, right. And what do you try to find first, a driver or a truck? Um, I, uh, the truck. Um, and here's why. That's what I thought. Yeah, here's why. The truck, if I buy it right, and you should, you should take your time, find the right truck, the right specs, the right deal, all of that stuff. Once I find that truck, I might keep that truck forever. It's totally in my control. But drivers are never in my control. I might do all the work, find the perfect driver. He might leave in a week. 
So it, uh-huh. going out and finding a driver before you have a truck, uh, you could do it that way. It's not going to make much difference. But just know that finding and keeping trucks is about 100 times easier than finding and keeping drivers. Keeping, finding and keeping drivers is something you will do almost all of the time. Right. yeah good stuff to think about yeah well it's uh i i think your timing is really good um i you know i wouldn't recommend running out buying a truck next week and i don't think you're right. going to you're right. asking, i mean in the next six months or a year if exactly. you're saying things go down the yep. tubes here you're asking good questions your timing is good you're giving yourself plenty of time to get prepared get this all down on paper here's the plan here's how i want to do it here's how much i want to spend for my first truck here's what i'm going to do with that truck when i get it and then you've got this plan on paper and you just sit back and wait for the opportunities to come trucks will get cheap drivers will be easier to find i got my one truck now all paid for and everything what what position would you think is good as far as savings and how much would you spend on a truck you know it's hard to pick a number because i don't know what the truck market's going to do but i i I treat the second truck very similar to the way i treat the first truck i would not buy a new truck for my first truck i wouldn't buy a new truck for my second truck either maybe possibly my third. If I get this worked out where I know the truck that I drive is profitable, the second truck I put on, which would be used, uh, and, and you know, I want to be in the thirty to $40,000 range. I, I wouldn't spend much more than that. What's going to change okay. is how much truck you're going to be able to buy for 40000 Right now, 40000 doesn't buy you much of anything. Six months from now, I have no. a feeling you're going to be able to pick up some pretty nice, efficient trucks for 40000 So once we know that we can run two used trucks profitably, now we have the numbers to know, okay, I'm thinking about adding that third one. Would I consider a new truck now? And I might. On a third truck, if I'm profitable, if I'm doing good at this, the market, you know, is is the trucks are out there, they're, they're reasonably priced. The third truck might be the first time I attempt to buy something new. And would you recommend buying the truck cash or, or financing it? If you have cash, I would buy it cash. Okay. Yeah, our goal is right. always to lower our expenses. And if, if we buy cash, we right, get rid of uh, an expense. We're not paying interest to somebody else. Which will probably be higher at that time. Oh, yeah. The rates are going up. Interest. You, yeah, you're going to see people financing yeah. trucks here pretty soon at 15 and 16%. And then that's the other thing. Maybe I should just keep the cash and buy a CD like I said the other day, you know. They may get there. They're, they're not there yet, but they, they may get there. So here's the thing. Again, this kind of points out what I've been talking about. You're thinking, you're planning, you're doing the right stuff. And what you'll end up with are multiple opportunities. In six months or a year, you might go, oh, yeah, you know what? I think I'm just going to stick some money in a CD. Look at that. Or, no, look, I could go out and buy these awesome trucks. There's drivers around. You're, you are going to put yourself in a position where you have multiple options.
All right. That's about it. I thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let me uh, let me know what you decide and what happens. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Jeff, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Um, glad to hear you again. I haven't heard you since you went off of Sirius, uh, but uh, I've got a health issue that I need your advice on. Um, first of all, let me give you a little background. I'll be 59 years old at the end of this month. I've always been in very good health. I've always been somewhat of an athlete, um, not overweight. I uh, had my A1C check last fall. It was 5.1. Um, have been eating low-carb, high-fat for about the last four and a half to five years, do some intermittent fasting. And uh, that's about all I can think to tell you right now. But here, about the last week of February, I was cranking the dollies up on a trailer, and I noticed when I was done, I had this little bit of a burning in my throat that kind of went down into my chest. And I thought, okay, maybe I've got a cold that I'm unaware of. Um, that has never went away, Kevin. I've got it now to where it's, it's worse. Uh, I, even if I jump up into, uh, my trailer and sometimes I move a little bit of freight around similarly light stuff, my throat is burning and, uh, and my chest is burning. Um, I went to my doctor, uh, I've went and had a, a lung x-ray that came back uh, fine. Yeah, I went and had my cholesterol checked. Um, I called you about a year and a half ago, and we went over my cholesterol, and my overall number then was 219, but when you checked three of my ratios, they were in the excellent range. Um, when I went and had my cholesterol checked this time, actually, my overall number was lower. It was 206. Um, my... Uh, my ratio, uh, I think it's the overall number to your HDL was 3.2. And my HDL, I believe it's 66. My LDL was 126. Um, and then I went and had a stress test. And this is where things aren't so good. I went and had the stress test. And uh, when I was on the treadmill, about two minutes into it, my throat starts burning and my chest starts burning. Um, I think they cut the stress test short by about probably two minutes. They called in a cardiologist at that point, and um, he pointed out to me uh, on on the little graph, the EQ or whatever it is, the little graph where the needle goes up and down. He said when I was exercising, the graph went kind of downward below the baseline in a couple of places and he said that is not good he said that's abnormal so then i went and met with a cardiologist just a couple of days ago and um if they want to do a uh ah you know where they stick the dye up into your heart um okay. but they want to start me on all these meds they want to start me they want to put me on a beta blocker he wants me on a statin. Okay. Um, right. he, he did say, he, he, I was going to say, he, he did say normally they wouldn't worry about my cholesterol because he, he had the numbers in front of him. But he said with someone with maybe a potential heart problem, he would like that number to go down. I think that's why he put me on a statin. Yeah, that's a bad um, idea. So let, let, let's just stop. And here are your options at this point. 
you can continue down the path okay. you're on with the statins, the beta blockers, the procedures, the and you will be in that system for the rest of your life. You're never going to get off those drugs. Right. I'm, I'm not. I was going to say I've, I've not started any of the medications. Yeah, okay. I've not even picked them. Yep. Yep. Good. Yeah. And I I'm just. I don't want to be on that. Yeah. I, I'm also kind of outlining this for everybody else. Once you're in that system, the only way you get out is if you decide to take yourself out of it. They, they will never tell you you could stop right. taking those drugs. You'll be taking them the rest of your life. Uh, they'll cause other problems. You are, you know, out of that system. You've improved your health. Like you said, you've been healthy anyway. You've improved it even more through your diet. We have an issue. I don't know what it is. I do have a recommendation. But before I get to the recommendation, um, I, I just have to ask this question because it could matter. Are you vaccinated for COVID? Mm-hmm. No, I'm not vaccinated. Okay. Did you have COVID? Well, uh, it's funny you ask that because the first thing that has come to my mind about this whole situation is perhaps I did have COVID at some point. I didn't realize it. And maybe this is a long-term effect of having COVID. That's part of what I'm thinking, and we would want to rule that out. I have heard almost nothing about antibody testing anymore. I don't know how accurate it was, um, but it would be interesting to know whether you have antibodies, whether you ever had COVID or not. Um, this may or may not be some lingering effect. We, we have heard lots of stories. There's the whole thing about long COVID. Long COVID tends to almost always affect people who aren't metabolically healthy but I have heard of really healthy people, athletes, professional athletes, that without the vaccine, we know the vaccine itself could cause issues, but COVID does seem to cause some weird things. And it frustrates me because we should know more about COVID by now. We don't because they hide so much data from us. And it's a shame because we might have better answers for somebody like you right now. If we, if we had antibody testing available, if we had statistics so we could see patterns, we don't have any of that stuff. Now, I, I'm going to kind of give you uh, my story. Um, just a month or so ago when I was on the road, I was, I was down for about four days, really sick really sore throat, a cough that would not go away. Um, I, I was I was in bed for a good solid two days that I just didn't want to get out at all. Since then, I don't feel like I'm fully recovering from that. I've been working in the garden the last couple of days, and honestly, I have about one quarter of the capacity to do physical labor that I had last summer. And I'm, I'm hoping... It's mostly because I spent a lot of time sitting and driving. And, you know, even when I did my show on the road, I was sitting. When I do my show now, I walk around my office the whole time. I end up getting like 4,000 steps during a show. So I'm just hoping that it's just a matter of I let myself get way out of shape during the winter and then the last couple of months on the road. But I'm shocked. I mean, the last couple of years in the garden, I have the ability to just go out there and work 8, 10, 12 hours doing physical labor if I want, and I don't tire out. Now, like two, two and a half hours, and I'm exhausted. So, and I'm kind of wondering, I tested for COVID during that time. Both tests came back negative. I don't completely trust the test. I may or may not have COVID, but I think whatever I had is still lingering somewhat. 
I don't know what it is. I don't even know what to do about it other than keep doing all the stuff I know. You know, I, I'm doubling down on nutrient density. I'm back into my stress protocol to make sure that's not affecting things. Uh, and I'm just going to see if I can work my way out of this. Since yours seems to have a very specific cardiovascular factor here, um, I would highly recommend you consult with Dr. Wolfson. With who? Dr. Wolfson, Jack Wolfson. He's a cardiologist. He actually kind of refers to himself as the paleo cardiologist. Uh, his father was a mm-hmm. cardiologist. He's been a cardiologist all his life. Uh, he was the traditional give everybody statins, do surgeries, put in stints. He, he's done all that stuff. And then he happened to meet a woman at a medical conference who was a chiropractor. Um, he'll tell you now that she talked him down from the dark side and, uh, he admits he's been on our show several times. Um, Jack and I talk quite a bit. He admits he, uh, he feels bad for all the people he helped kill, uh, as a traditional cardiologist and he wants to spend the rest of his life making up for it. So he has all of the knowledge of any good cardio cardiologist. He was, he's just really outstanding. He knows all of the traditional right. things about statins and cholesterol and beta blockers and all that stuff, but his approach is, is completely mm-hmm. natural. Yeah. Um, well, here's that. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. As we're, as I'm studying in my truck and as we're talking, I have a pain right in the middle of, of my chest and my pain in my chest seems to follow my airway down through there. I, I, I think I was talking to the, the doctor and stuff, and isn't it your heart? It, your heart's not directly in the center of your chest. Isn't it kind of off to the left a little bit, like a left of center? I, I think it might be slight. I think for a lot of us, we think it's farther left than it is. You know, we tend to hold our hand way over mm-hmm. there. I, I think it is much closer to the center than most people think but probably not dead center. Although I wouldn't put too much weight on that factor where we feel things Mm -hmm. can be really off. Um, I I don't know where you're feeling it is going to tell us much. I think again, what I would do is a consult with Dr. Wolfson. If he thinks there's some, you know, danger here, he'll run whatever tests he needs um, if he thought that some drug or surgery, you, you absolutely needed it, he can still do that, but he's, he's going to take you down the natural path instead. Right. Well, I was wondering if, uh, you know, I've, I've got this heart catheterization set for, uh, the third of June. And, um, I was wondering, should I take these? drugs they've given me at least until then and find, you know, once they go in and find out, do I have a blockage or, you know, I, I just can't believe I would have a blockage. So Jeff, I have no heart Jeff, disease in my Jeff, family. Yeah, Jeff, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I want you to change your thinking here. Right okay. now, in my opinion, there are two choices. Either follow what these doctors are telling you, the drugs, the surgeries, the procedures, and and follow that through to its conclusion, whatever that happens to be, or before you do Mm -hmm. any of those things, get a second opinion from Dr. Wolfson. 
Well, I'll, I'll certainly do that because, like I said, it's not scheduled until uh, the third. So I've got time. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm worried about something happening to me. That's because, why I, Kevin, I, I can't do even just, I yeah, am too. Even just normal things that I used I, to do, you I, know, and uh, it worries Jeff, me. Stop again. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about it, too. That's why I'm not just blowing it off and saying, oh, take some cardio miracle. You'll be fine. I, I'm, I'm, this right. is a serious issue. But again, your choice right. is follow the traditional system you're in right now and see what happens. Or before you do anything, get a consult on what is really going on and do you need any of that stuff. To me right now, that is the only decision to be made. And the sooner you make it and do something, the better off you're going to be. How do I get a hold of this Dr. Wolfson? Uh, you can go right online. You can book something right online. If you look up Dr. Wolfson, Jack Wolfson, the paleocardiologist, his links come right to the top. Okay. Is it spelled like W-O-L-F-S-O-N? Is that what it is? Like wolf, yep. like the animal? Yep. Spelled exactly okay. like that. Right. Well, you, can, you can book a consult online. Uh, tell them we sent you. We send a lot of people over to them, and, and everybody's been happy with their results. Right. Okay. Well, that's what, what I will, I'll, I'll definitely do. Cause like I said, I, I can't, I can't keep living like this. I got to find out what is wrong because, uh, like I said, I, I just, I can't even do hardly anything that makes me breathe a little heavier than normal. I will get that burning in my throat. And if I, and if I keep it up, it will go down into my chest. So I was mowing my lawn Saturday night and I had to stop. I had to stop and sit down. The pain in my chest got so bad. Yeah. The, you know? it, so it, I uh, would, the, the next phone call, when you get off to me, you should either be online booking something or you should be calling him and booking something. Um, I, you know, there's lots of things I could say, well, let's try this. Let's do a C-reactive protein test. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to do those because this is serious enough that everything I would tell you about maybe a C-reactive protein test, maybe this supplement, everything I, or eat this way, all of those things Dr. Wolfson knows all of that. He does all of those things. Plus, he's a cardiologist. So I I don't want to give you any advice other than go see him. Right. I really, in my mind, Kevin, I I, I think this is a respiratory thing because my voice is hoarse a lot. My voice is much deeper. Um, When I have these chest pains, like if if I'll have them one day, the next day, my whole throat and my whole like it is it, very sensitive. Like if I swallow something cold, I'll feel it all the way down my throat, all the way down into my chest. It's like my throat and, and everything is just hypersensitive. Yeah. That's, you it. know, to, uh, it, to coldness and hotness. And those are pretty just, uh, unique symptoms. Sick. Those are pretty unique symptoms. Something right. is going on. And again, if it's not a heart or a cardiovascular issue, um, Dr. Wolfson's going to know that. He'll have a recommendation. He'll have right. a plan for it. Look, you already have one plan. You have the traditional. You know what they're right. going to do. They're going to put you on drugs. They're going to do procedures or surgeries. And, and if you decide to go that right. route, then go that route. But get it totally. Yeah. Now, and here's the other thing. If you go to some other traditional cardiologist to get a second opinion, I can guarantee you you'll end up with almost the identical plan as the first. But if you go to Dr. Wilson, you've got an option of finding out something completely different. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not so, you know, uh, against doing the catheterization just to go in and check and see I if am. I have any blocked arteries. I but, am. Are you? I, why would we do it if it okay, turns out it's not necessary? Well, you are right. Why would we? But I, I guess we just have to figure out if it is necessary. Are, are we confident at some point that, hey, this is not necessary or is it necessary? I guess that's where we're at right now. We've got to find Absolutely. that out. Maybe Dr. Wilson can, can, uh, can you know, so yes, that's, that's kind of where we're at right now. And, and but, again, uh, all right, I would put your, yeah, one, one more time. If, if mm-hmm. a catheter, those procedures are necessary, Dr. Wolfson will know that. that that's what he did. That's what right. he does. It, it's so if he thinks that's necessary, then absolutely, I would go through with it too. But before, look, okay. I, I just, I know it sounds cynical, but I understand our medical system. They do procedures to do procedures because that's what they do. That's how they make money. That is always their system. Well, that, that's exactly what I thought too. You know, when they, you know, when they showed me on this electrocardiogram, here is this and that. Now, we need to do a heart catheter. The first thing, first thing that crossed my mind was, well, yeah, this is how you folks make your living. So, let of me, we're going to recommend this. Let me not be so cynical and give you another reason why they do those things. They do it because that's what they do, and that's how they make money. There's no doubt about it. But they also do it because if they don't, they could be sued for malpractice. There are a bunch of attorneys out there just waiting for a doctor not to do a test, and they sue them and say, well, you should have done this right. test. It might have saved somebody. Whether it would have or not doesn't matter. Right. So that, there is another reason right. why and, and they I do think, so much testing. They're afraid not to. Well, yes, and I, I, I think that is perhaps why I'm, they're putting me on all these meds, too. That's just part of the protocol that they should do. They're just kind of covering themselves. You know, this, this is just what they normally do in this situation. So yes. they, they got to do it yes. basically. So, um, all right, I will, uh, I will get in touch with Dr. Wolfson and, uh, I'll do that today and, um, and just see if we can figure out what this is, uh, you know, and, and get it figured out before this procedure comes up. But like I said, I've got three weeks, so, um, I will definitely do that. I thank and you for your advice. Kevin. I, I would love to hear back from you on this one. I will let you know as soon as I know something, okay? Thank you. Appreciate it. Good luck with that. Tell Jack I said hi. Let's, uh, let's go to Arizona. Leo, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Uh, I have a question about my truck. I have a Peterbilt 386. It's a glider kit with a Detroit engine. Truck is running really good. Uh, it's a million mile truck. Uh, I got I can say I got a really good fuel economy. Uh, let's say in the best condition, going empty with a trailer, non-aero tra- trailer, like a reefer trailer, going on Ohio, Illinois, Wisconsin. I got over 10, like 10.3. Uh, going heavy on the same best condition, 8.2. Uh, but this is, if I go like uh, 60 miles per uh, 60 miles per hour, with uh, I have to go in a 12 speed. It's a 13 speed, 342. If I go in a 12 speed with uh, 1500 uh, 
RPM, I got the best fuel economy with this truck. Okay. So I think it's good. Uh, well, those numbers uh, are excellent. Uh, yes. I didn't have some some good numbers like last year or something like that. Uh, the, I got the tune a few months ago. It was in the winter time. After the tune, I got really good numbers with the fuel economy. But now the heat is outside and uh, the engine, is, if I'm not going to pay attention, uh, it's, getting, it's getting too hot. When, I, when I'm saying too hot, uh, I got like a close to 220, the coolant, 218 actually. When I got a 218, the coolant, uh, I got the check engine. Like, uh, you know, the check engine, and it's the first time when I got something like that. These things happen after the tune. But uh, like I said, I got a really good fuel economy. The truck is really it's running really good. And uh, the tune that I got, I got more heat. It's, I think it's normal. Uh, and my question is, the truck is about a million miles, uh, a little bit over a million. It's the original radiator. I'm thinking maybe it's going to be a good time to replace the radiator, maybe to get a, well, a bigger one. Just po- possibly, but let's hold on a second. You said this was a glider, right? Yes. Yeah, it's a glider, and it's a Detroit engine. So it's a Series 60. So it's, it's a Series 60. I got a 90 engine. Yes, it's a, it's a block. The engine block that I have is a 93. Okay, what... Um, what what model truck was it? It's a DDX three. It's a Peter build three eighty six. Okay, so so, so here's class, the th- here. It's not a classic, not a aero one. So it's let's say between. Yeah. So here's the thing. That truck and that radiator that comes in it is more than enough to handle that series sixty, because it was designed for an emission engine that generates a lot more heat. So we tend to find when we were building gliders, they always ran cool because we had so much more airflow and so much more radiator than what we really needed for those engines. So before I would, how many miles are on this? It's a million miles. It's possible the radiator's clogged. It's possible that, you know, we may even want to take it apart and clean out in between. I I wouldn't do that yet. Um, Has anybody checked for a boost leak anywhere? Uh, I'm checking all the time. I'm doing a lot of maintenance, and uh, I didn't find anything. And, you know, I... Do you have a boost gauge? I got a... Yes, I have. And it's really responsible when I, uh, you know, if I want to push the truck, is going really, really good. I can get a boost like uh, 38. Oh, that's 38. a lot of boost. Out of no a D-Deck 3, that's a lot of boost. Yes, but uh, I never, yeah, but I never go there. You know, but I can if I want. If I'm going to go there, I'm going to get a lot of heat. And, and, and uh, can... my, uh, my fan plate, my fan plate is uh, starting at uh, 205. You know, I'm using a uh, Our... KR scan gauge, and it's, uh, it's helping me a lot with the uh, with the heat. You know, I'm trying to the track. Okay. Know, what... the... One more question: Are you doing oil samples? 
files by myself, so I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Okay, so before... And, uh, everything he... happened after the tune. Before the tune, uh, I never get so much heat. Uh, well, maybe it's not a lot of heat, like uh, 218. I'm, I'm not sure if it's a lot of heat or not. 218. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, sure that, that heat is the problem here. It may be. But I think what we need right now is we we just need to kind of go back to the basics on this truck. Before we decide that we need a radiator, we might have a thermostat sticking closed once in a while. We just need to do some basic troubleshooting and optimizing kind of thing. Make sure everything's working right. I would do a smoke test to make sure there's no boost leak. I would do an oil sample because if this thing is getting hot, truly hot, we should see some oxidation and some other signs. If we see a bunch of fuel in there, we might have a, an injector that's streaming somewhere and we're just putting too much fuel into the cylinder. There are some really good checks we could do um, and some basic maintenance before we go out and decide we need a new radiator. Uh, we should be checking the thermostats. We should be cleaning out between the radiator and the charger cooler. If you could possibly get this truck to Pittsburgh Power, this is something they're really good at. Yeah, I was thinking to go there, and the uh, thermostat was on my list. Uh, about the thermostat, if I decide to replace them, I have two of them, should I get the... I understand. Well, I think they have a 180 and 190 thermostat for the choice engine. Should I put a 180? So, again, here's where I want to do some basic checking and maintenance. And if here's the thing. I like to run trucks up at their upper limits of heat. They run more efficiently there. You get better fuel economy, you get better performance, yeah. things stay cleaner. So I, I, I would prefer the 190s. That, that's what I run on my C13. I want run 190 thermostats. Um, you got to watch the temperature once in a while. You, you know, on a really hot day, pulling a big climb, you want to downshift more often, get the RPMs up so you're not generating as much heat. But I like to run things hotter. So what I don't like to do is when this truck ran fine for a million miles, all of a sudden we, we have a problem where we think it might be getting a little too hot. To me, the answer isn't to put a cooler thermostat in. To me, the answer is find out why it did fine for all, all this time and now it's not. So that's where the oil sample, oh. the boost leak, all these things. Uh, what do you have for an exhaust system on this truck? Uh, is it stock uh, muffler you may have a really clogged muffler uh, yeah it's a stock knob yeah you after a million miles you may have a really clogged muffler and that can generate heat and it creates back pressure so we'll lose some efficiency at a million miles before we go out and try to find something that's broken like it needs a new radiator Let's just go through the truck back to the basics again and make sure everything's right. Okay, another question. Between the radiator and the fan blade, uh, I saw many trucks, uh, your truck has a, like a cover to try to keep the air from the fan blade close to the radiator. My truck doesn't have, doesn't change with one. You mean like a shroud that 
Yeah, but again, I'm going to go back to the fact that this truck has run really well and been really efficient for a million miles. It didn't have a shroud all that time, right? uh, No, but I got the the tune. uh, Well, and and, no, you bring up a good point. You bring up a good point. And at 38 pounds of boost, you've got a pretty hot tune in there. There's no doubt that thing's healthy. Yeah, before, and... that, before that, I, I never get uh, more than 28 before the tune. Right, right. No, that, that tells us I... that's a pretty hot tune. So who did the tune? Well, according with the guy who did it, I got only uh, 550 horsepower and uh, 1,800 uh, uh, Five... uh, torque. 550 doesn't sound right out of 38 pounds of boost on a D-Deck 3. I think it's much hotter than that. Here's another good reason to get to Pittsburgh Power. I would I would be look have them look at that tune. Yeah, I gain at least a full mile per gallon after the tune. That's a well, that's a that's a gallon. that's a good sign, but it it's a pretty hot tune yeah, no. and and maybe that's where the heat is coming from and we do have to be a little careful with heads, you know, on on engines yeah, that old. Yeah, my my recommendation is yeah. going to be a lot like the last call. Uh, before I did anything, I'd want to get oh. this truck to Pittsburgh Power and let them go through the whole thing, including that tune. Okay, I will do that. And I have another question, a quick question. Sure. A few months ago, I got a brand new truck. Uh, it was a three-liner, brand new from the dealer. I bought a truck in uh, January. A uh, week later, I decided to sell the truck. So I sold the truck. Well, I make some money uh, because that was the market. <laughs> so the money that I uh, that I made, uh, <laughs> what's it gonna be regarding with uh, what I'm gonna have to pay to Uncle Sam? Let's say. Yeah. How? Let's say. How much did you make? I made the profit uh, after everything. You know, after I paid off the truck and. Uh, So let me make sure I'm understanding the numbers correctly. Tell me the the sale price you paid yeah, for the I, truck when it was new. So I I bought the truck in, from the dealer one eighty six thousand. After I waiting, I was waiting for a truck at least a year. I was on the list. You know? Okay. So and I sold the truck with uh, two thirty six. Wow. Wow. Congratulations. That's incredible. Yeah, I, uh, yeah because I, I decided, I used to have, all, I always had like two trucks or something like that, you know, but yeah. I was seeing where the industry is going and I decided it's Good. better just I, to I, I think it was an awesome, I think it was an awesome decision on your part. Congratulations. You're probably, that's probably going to add... Oh, if I had to guess, taxes are tough. Capital, this is what we call a capital gain. If it was a recapture of depreciation like we normally deal with, I could tell you the exact number. Capital gains, we, this sound, how long did you own the truck? Was it more than a year or no? Doesn't sound like it. No, you just said a couple weeks, right? Uh, About, uh, about two weeks, maybe with everything. Yeah, so it's going to be a. I never, I never registered a truck, you know, I just. To the truck from the dealer, and I parked the truck in my park. 
Yeah, it's, it's going to be a short so term. It's going to be a short term capital gain, so it's a higher rate. But then your income can affect the rate. Uh, I'm going to guess uh, between six and eight thousand in tax. Okay. Yeah. So, hell of a deal. Forty thousand in profit. I'll I'll give the government their six or eight thousand of it. Typically, in in any other year in the last thirty five years I've been doing this, if you bought a truck for one eighty and tried to sell it a couple weeks later, you'd get one sixty for it. Well, there was a lot of people looking for. for I know. I know. You're you're. Your timing was awesome. The fact that that you had the truck on Facebook. That's even that's even crazier. Um, crazy stories. Oh, I, God, I, but I got a lot uh, a lot of cursing about the truck because when I put the price, you know. But you know, somebody bought it. There was, that's, uh, that's what matters. Oh, and there was uh, and I had believe me or not, but I had a a list at least like. A, People waiting for the truck. Wow. And by the way, it was cash, a cash deal. The that, guy who bought it. That's it crazy. Was a cash deal. No financing, no nothing. That, that, cash it, deal. Hey, hey, Leo, I got to tell you, if you would have told me this story two or three years ago, I would have called you a liar and hung up on you. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story. I love it. Uh, Great stuff. Hey, I'm going to get out of here. Um, I know we are preparing for rolling toe. Um, while I'm closing out here, uh, Aaron, Lisa, Angie, anybody that might be listening, uh, if you let me know what the plan is for rolling toe, I can pass it along. Um, what time are they planning on starting today? Are they ready to go? Uh, give me some ideas here. Do I have any other notes while I'm, while I'm waiting to find out what we're doing? I don't see it. Well, I have several notes here, but it would take me too long if I get started on these topics. So, um, let me ask on text because nobody seems to be answering me. And I can't type and talk at the same time. So, uh. Hold, please. Okay, sounds like they are getting ready. What that means to me is they will be up and live within 15 minutes. I need to close out this show. We'll get another show started. Part of our technology, we will make these transitions a whole lot smoother um, with our own software. One of the issues right now, um, and I have to kind of decide on this, I, I kind of like my new format where I don't have a hard ending. You know, I didn't come on today and say it's an hour or it's an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half or whatever. I, I kind of go till it feels like we're done, um, either out of calls or whatever it might be. I, I like that format. Um, it does make these transitions to another show a little more clunky, so we have to think of some ideas on how we do that. Uh, you know, it's possible we could run two shows at the same time. So even though I'm still going, another show could start. I don't know if we want to do that. Actually, what I'd love is some feedback. So um, 
uh, you can always drop an email to support at letstruck.com. But the best way um, is really just to reach out to me on healthy tribe or truckingtribe.com. Give me some feedback. What do you think? Should I, should I make it a hard ending? Today's an hour, today's an hour and a half, today's two hours, whatever. Or should I kind of do what I've been doing? Um, go till it almost feels like there's kind of a natural end to the show. Yesterday, um, just on the air alone, I ended up doing four hours, no breaks. We did four hours yesterday with no breaks. It was pretty awesome. And then I went on to do Q&A with Lauren on the website afterwards. Um, I, I like this format, but I, it's not really about me. It's about you. So I'd love to get some feedback. Would you rather see a hard end time on the show? Or do you like this where we kind of, you know, if we got a good topic going on. We got good calls. We keep going. Uh, and we'll figure out some sort of a solution. I am going to wrap this up and get out of here. And uh, stay tuned. Rolling Toe with Mike and Kevin Beckett is up next. You don't want to miss it. Um, They should be going live here within the next 10 or 15 minutes. We will see you back here tomorrow. It might be a trucking technology and efficiency day. Um, We'll see if John and Joel or John or Joel um, are able to join me tomorrow and, uh, we'll kind of make it a free for all too. I, I kind of like that Fridays we can focus on fuel mileage and technology and efficiency, but it's kind of fun to just throw it out there. Uh, oh, I know I challenged those guys. We all have to come up with a new topic that we've never talked about before. We'll see how that goes tomorrow. We'll see you then be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always. Do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford.